Hello and welcome to another episode of Mere Fidelity, where we have conversations about life, theology, the church, and the culture. My name is Derek Rishmaui, and I'm joined by most of the cast and crew today, Matthew Lee Anderson and uh, Alistair Roberts, or as he hasn't been called in a while, FDR, Fancy Dr. Roberts. Um, just wanted to say, say thanks for coming back. Uh, sorry for missing you last week. We had some technical difficulties. Um, Alistair forgot how to use a phone again. Oh. And so uh, we... we <laughs> Pretty sure it was your fault there. Um, it's, no, it's never my fault. It's never my fault. Um, but on that note, before we get to today's business, I wanted to just highlight uh, the excellent sound work of our uh, sound guy, Timothy Mott. Um, if you remember our early episodes, uh, they were awful. We sounded like Martians. And um, so if you've enjoyed the work that you've heard him do, um, he's available. And if you'd like to, uh, if you had no sound work uh, that needs doing, you can email into the show and we'll connect you. Uh, it'd be it'd be great to uh, throw some work his way at this time. Uh, so, and we're really grateful for what he's done. So go ahead and email in and uh, we can connect you with our excellent sound guy. So with that, Noted, we are going to get to the issue of the day, which is the issue of uh, controversy or uh, debate or, in a sense, when and how and why to engage in such uh, activities. Um, We figured uh, since all of us seem to find ourselves, contrary to our nature, uh, seem to find ourselves in debates and controversies with some regularity, uh, we figured we it would be it'd be uh, maybe a helpful, helpful topic to engage in and to think through. You know when or why or how to um, you know engage in intellectual or spiritual controversy in that manner. Uh, we didn't have Andrew on the show because um, we haven't seen him get in an online fight in a few months. And so we just thought he was not qualified at this point in time. Um, but we'll bring him back for the next couple shows. No, but really, uh, it's just something that you find yourself doing in the world. The, the world is full of conflict. The world's full of fights. There's dis- disputes and disagreements in the church. So we wanted to kind of engage that today. So with that intro, um, I figure I will pitch it to our boy FDR. Uh, Alistair. How would you like to lead in on this? Something I repeatedly come back to is the issue of establishing a proper emotional relationship to our arguments and controversies and our context of dispute. Because a lot of the time what we find is that the arguments that we have are shaped by people's reactions. They're shaped by our sense of fear in our position, our sense of hostility towards people on another side, our um sense of friendship with people on our own side that leads us to be uncritical of some of the positions that they have. Sometimes it can be an over-identification with our own positions, that it's something deeply personal to us so that we presume that any attack upon them is an attack upon ourselves. Or we can react against the people we're talking with in a way that makes it very difficult to hear them charitably and to hear them out. And sometimes we can have a fear of the conversation itself or the prospect of the truth that might come come out through it. Or we might have some reaction against the dimensions 
various dimensions of the people, of the positions of the people we're talking with. And so a lot of what I argue for is the need to understand why we react the way that we do, what we are reacting to, and to establish a healthy emotional relationship with all of these things if we're going to think clearly and speak wisely into situations. Because so often our controversies, particularly on somewhere like Twitter or Facebook, are driven by the speed of the medium, by the emotional reactions that we have to the issues and to the people we're talking to, rather than by a very clear stance that we make on the issues that are at issue. Um, and so to get that right at the outset, we need to do a lot of examination of where we stand in relationship to things and a lot of an inventory of the various prejudices, the um, instincts that we have, the reactions, the way that we've been hurt in the past that might lead us to approach this in a less than balanced way. Um, so that's one of the things that I would like to start with, just thinking about the various processes that we each go through in order to think clearly about things, to avoid re just merely reacting and to develop a capacity to respond carefully and thoughtfully and give ourselves the time to process things and deliberate rather than just having a knee-jerk response. Hmm. It's not... It's interesting because I've always taken you to be such a hasty person, Alistair. You had something to say. The way he the way he turns out, you know, ten thousand word essays so quickly makes makes me wonder, Alistair. Makes me wonder. Uh, um, no, there's a I, there's a lot to say on this. I mean, one of the one of the questions that I have about. Um, speaking appropriately in the midst of controversy is uh, just what is a controversy? Um, if I can be really yeah. basic, like what constitutes the conflagration that drives people's emotions, that drives the knee-jerk responses that Alistair was suggesting that we need to uh, check and temper and, and reflect about? Uh, and it seems like in the midst of most controversies, um, what goes on is not anything like meaningful, substantive reflection on the issues or questions at hand, but rather a lot of signaling uh, that people are on the right sides of things. Um, and that's, uh, that's, that's, there's a feature, as Alistair has, I think, written pretty extensively of some of the nature of our mediated discourse and um, the nature of the, the forms of communications that we mostly talk to one, uh, with, uh, talk to one another with uh, these days. But I think it is helpful to, in recognizing that, to provide yourself some reasons for um, not speaking quickly, because uh, if what speaking means is mostly signaling, then no intervention regardless of how reasonable it is, is going to be helpful. It's just going to be swept up in the sort of atmosphere that um, is being created. And uh, it's just going to further that atmosphere, even if it's, um, it, 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 it just doesn't matter how reasonable it is. Um, and I think that's, that's a serious problem. It's, it's, um, 
it, I think, creates a lot of incentive to abide by James's exhortation to be slow to speak um, and to let controversies die before you uh, before you really weigh in on them substantively. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, the slowness to speak and the is important and the nature uh, and just recognizing that just the really volatile nature of online controversies, especially since I think oftentimes we tend to think of it that way. And, um, and it's become that right things, things and pe- people talk about the divide, dividing line between in real life and online life. And uh, that's becoming less and less. It's real, but it's not as real. You know, online is real too, to some degree. Um, But it is interesting. So last last summer's uh, Trinitarian controversy uh, in a few, in the wing of the online evangelical, and not just online, academic evangelical world, uh, that that a lot of those posts came fast and furious. There was plenty of heat and... uh, and some of it was was hot, hot heat that that really didn't help anybody. But in the middle of all that, I do think there was light that was shed, and I do think for many people, um, it got got a lot of people to uh, engage an issue at a level and from an angle that they I think I think many simply would not have. I think a lot of people were sharpened in the exchange. I, I think there were substantive changes made in some respects, and so. I mean, what started out and at certain points seemed pointless controversy, I think ended up generating um, some positive gains down the road. Uh, even if in the middle of it, there were there were a couple days you're like, oh my goodness, this is just nonsense. What's going on? Or uh, and it just seemed like a lot of the a lot of I mean, exactly the things that. Um, Alistair was 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 worried about the um, the reactivity that was coming into it, given given its association with certain pastoral flare ups, um, as well as past histories of relationships between different groups, and there was definitely some signaling going on. But I think in the middle of it, there was also a lot of there was also actually a lot a lot of light shed on some key issues, and so I mean, I simply bring that up just to say I do think that even in the context that we're in, even even in uh, the fact that there is a lot of just messy, ugly um, going on in that in that in that uh, environment, um, I do think controversies can have positive outcomes in key ways. That I, I do think persuasion is still possible uh, in the context. It, it, maybe not for everybody, but um, I, I do think I do think that there is. There is positive value at times. I think that's in engaging. I think that's I, I definitely think, true. I think the one problem, though, when you're talking about the Trinitarian controversy last summer, the positive results that that had in certain contexts were not just a matter of chance arising out of the conversation. It arose, I think, in large part from people doing the conversation well. Um, and as you mentioned, much of the conversation was not done well and was not going to yield good results. But the fact that it yielded positive results was not just a chance occurrence. Um, it was because of well, people and, committing and, and themselves Alistair, to have the conversation well. 
Well, but I actually think it's it goes deeper than that. I, I think the subject itself has a pretty significant uh, bar for entry, but significantly high bar for entry. So you have to have um, a relatively sophisticated understanding of the nature of Trinitarian theology in order to be able to play, basically. And that keeps out a lot of people who might other otherwise have uh, thoughts or comments, whereas other controversies have much lower bars. There are things that happen or someone says something that it's much easier to have an opinion on than... Um, than someone issues a statement or something like that. Yeah, I, mean, <laughs> I mean, maybe, I, possibly. But, um, but that to say, I mean, the, the Trinitarian uh, controversy is uh disposes it, it, it was there was it was disposed to build to have a community around it that would be likely to handle it better than most controversies now i i just have one question for us as a as a podcast are we going to settle on controversy or controversy uh because we've used it both oh, ways man. and i feel like we need some unity on this I feel like, oh man, I feel like it's two to one at this point, um, <laughs> U.S. versus the U.K. And so, in the spirit of charity and uh, also just democracy, which is God's way of settling things, um, uh, that's awful. Now, now I've just put my just made myself a tritheist. Um, <laughs> no, uh, let's go. Let's go. Let's just let's just let's just agree to disagree. Uh, um, but with that with that said, though, I, I think coming back to just the nature of of, of controversies, um, I mean, we are I guess talking about them in the church, uh, and we are talking about them, I suppose, for people who are just figuring out whether or not to get involved and to what degree. Um, and I think it's interesting to be. To, just to be aware of, of who you are when you're in certain conversations, whether you need to involve yourself in them at all. Um, you know, the nature of online life is I've got a platform uh, by, by default. I have a Twitter account. I have a Facebook account. I have, uh, you know, some, some medium at which I can, you know, disperse my thoughts to the world. Um, and so, you have to say something. If you have a thought, you have to say something. And, you know, for most of... Silence is violence. <laughs> silence is violence. Yeah, right. But, but but on any issue, right? And there's there's a certain level of what well, that's kind of fun. You can just offer inane opinions on on um, on things of small consequence, like, you know, the, the fact that barbecue sauce is the best sauce in the world. I, I you know, I, I think that is true, and I will utter that, and people will agree and disagree. Um but you know the heat level on that probably won't go very far, um, and there there's there's a low there's a low there's not much stopping me from saying something inane on about that uh, because you know why not whatever there's very little consequence. But there's also the fact that you can say something about anything at this point. Things with like high levels of high levels of importance that will generate pushback, and the question is, I have the platform. But am I am I somebody who should be involving me, involving myself in this controversy? Do you, am I going to contribute anything of value? And that's that's um, 
I think that's an, that's an important question to ask because there's certain conversations that I have, I have opinions on, but I just think why you, you don't, nobody needs to know what I think on that. I'm not really, I'm not an expert on it. I have no, I have no authority to speak to it. Um, I, I don't necessarily have like the training to speak to. I mean, I, I have thoughts on, I have thoughts on recent political events and, and, uh, recent, you know, budget crises and moves and things like that. But let's be honest, um, I'm not, I'm not a, not, I'm not a political expert. I have basically the, the same knowledge that anybody who reads the papers four or five days of the week has, which is to say, this is not, this is not a subject matter, my expertise or, and I'm not a politician and I don't have any kind of office. I'm not a pundit in these matters, in which case, why do I feel like I have to go out in the world and start opining on these things? Um, and I think that's something else to consider in, in this is considering your relation, relationship to any controversy that's going on, right? Um, what is my stake in it? What is my role in it? Um, should I be playing observer at this point, right? There are some things that I, I may even be thought of as somebody who, who, who should or, or could legitimately speak to it. But I think at this point in time, like, well, I, I don't know enough about that. Like I want to sit back and watch some of what goes down and not spout off before I really know what I think. Um, so, I mean, how do you guys, how do you, I mean, I guess like practically, how do you guys decide? How do you guys think through um, whether or not to get yourself involved in a controversy or, or um, Matt, as, as you often say to me, uh, one to ignore the damn fools? So I'm, I'm quoting him. I would never use that curse myself. Oh. I'm just saying Matt has said it. I'm, and so um, I, I can neither confirm nor deny that I have said any such thing. Uh, okay. I have no recollection of that event, Senator. Um, <laughs> no. The, I mean, if you're Alistair, this is a really hard problem, right? Because you know everything about everything. And so the, the opportunities for inter intervention must just be endless, um, which is not, thankfully, a problem that you or I have, Derek. There, there, there are certain, no. certain controversies that we, we're just ruled out of by virtue of being mortals, um, which, which is easy. Uh, uh, I do think, Alistair, I couldn't resist. I I'd say I'm sorry, but it was it was a layup. It was just there. I I had to had to take it. Um, I do think. I mean, one 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 question that I will put to myself uh, often is, can I make a helpful intervention? And helpfulness is it's a a helpful category, if I may say, um, in part because it recognizes that there are real people on the far side. You're, you're helping someone, um, that there is this thing that's happening and that you do have a way of benefiting the, um, the individuals involved, um, whether that's just by bringing clarity to something that they hadn't seen or whether it's by, um, speaking in a way that articulates intuitions that they have that are uh, inarticulate to them. They might have vague impressions that something of significance is, is happening and, and you might be able to articulate that, what that is for them. Or whether it's um, in some ways just uh, providing a kind of cover 
for those who are um, being uh, hurt by a controversy or um, uh, left out and being able to say, you know, here's here's a thing that's being happening that, that's overlooking these individuals or um, that's not taking them seriously that uh, such that we need to do that. And I think trying to trying to frame interventions in public speech as um, matters of helping or not uh, is is important. At the same time, I recognize that helping sometimes hurts and um, that's, that's just a, a deep problem that afflicts every, every kind of intervention, regardless of the best of intentions and um, regardless of the level of sagacity of, of the one who is intervening. Um, and, you know, so it, it, trying to help less often than we're inclined to is, I think, a, a matter of like, it's a good, good principle to adopt weirdly mm. i yeah i think for me oftentimes when i i look at some of these things um sometimes when the thing's already going um it's often a matter of have i seen somebody say this point and i is it do i think it's a point worth making right do i think it's going to be a clarifying uh, a, clar- a clarifying point. This is what I'm thinking clearly, and I'm not just responding and being super reactive, like Osher points out. But um, but when I'm, I'm I'm I think I'm doing best. Um, I think it's I think it's because something will be added clearly, shortly, succinctly. Although I don't, I've I've been around you guys long enough now that I'm writing stupidly long posts. Um, that that just. I'm not sure anybody else is going to put it that way. And it's important enough in my mind that, all right, I'll risk the, I'll risk the time. I'll risk the time. And so that's, that's one guiding point, I suppose, for me. Alistair? I, I keep what, returning to... What moves you? I, I keep <laughs> returning to the need to diagnose and understand the way that the conversations that we're having are working. And so often what I'll try and do is not just say something concrete within a particular conversation, but say something about the way that the conversation is being held and try and shift the character of the conversation more generally, not just in terms of the content, but in the very form of it, and recognizing why people are reacting rather than carefully responding, trying to slow down the conversation on occasions, trying to aerate it a bit, give people space and make them feel less threatened. Um, And that I find is crucial because unless you can create that healthy context for discourse, the discourse just won't get anywhere, no matter how sensibly you speak into it. And so often what we need to do is maybe step back from certain forms of engagement and choose others instead. And so that's something that I'll think about or creating friendships with people who disagree with us or maybe just cutting certain people out of the conversation altogether because there are certain conversations that should be restricted to people who are well situated to speak intelligently into the conversation and that is seldom something that you'll find within you'll seldom have those conversations developing naturally within the 
highly democratic and egalitarian context of social media. What you usually need are contexts which are restrictive. And so when we're talking about the Trinitarian debate, when you're talking about Trinitarian scholars, that's a fairly limited group, and you can have intelligent conversations within that context that you can't have when everyone has their opinion on social media. What you need to do is be a bit more restrictive and have a conversation that's well-formed, that has the right pace, that has people relating well together. Because one of the things that we have is our debates very often are like this total war that we have. We're constantly in conflict and tension with each other. Whereas debates, when they work best, tend to be like playing fields. You step onto the field of play, you shake the hand of your opponent, and you have your conflict, and then you shake your hand and shake their hand and you walk off again. And we've not been able to create those contexts well on social media because there's not the same sense of differentiated contexts. And as a result, we end up fighting. And so no matter how sensibly we're speaking into the situation, we're not going to get anywhere. Then I think we'd need to have an understanding of why, of our own psychology and the psychology of other people. So for instance, if you want to make a helpful contribution to the debate, Generally, it is important to give weight to the other person's opinion, not to try and say that they're, um, that they're arguing for the very worst possible consequences of their position. So, for instance, if you want to change someone's mind on an issue like abortion, you're probably not going to do that by telling them that they're supporting killing babies. Now, that is, I believe, true, but it's not very persuasive. Um, you need to understand what they're trying to support, the good things that they are working towards in a very misguided way, and then try and show how you can take those things into account while holding the ground on this very, very important point. And I think we don't often tend to approach things that way. We tend to approach things very much um, blind to other people's motives, blind blind to the way that they'll respond to what we say, and blind also to our own motives for, spe for speaking. And so I think an understanding of psychology, an understanding of the context of debate, and what context will create effective conversations, and which ones are fairly doomed from the start, that is really important. And that's what I focus on a lot when I'm contributing to debates, not just on the content of what I'm going to say. And I think, Alistair, you're, yeah. the, the point that you made about blind to our own motives for intervening, um, I think, is, is a really important one. And it grounds the, the weird claim that I made that you should intervene less than you're disposed to on these things. Because if you, if you, every time you think you've got something helpful to say that no one else has said, something that's going to move the conversation forward, if, if you intervene under all of those circumstances, um, you're giving yourself a lot of credit just intrinsically by virtue of that action. Um, and so you have to have a, a kind of discipline that, um, that denies yourself even the that denies yourself even the opportunity to do good when you might be able to do good for the sake of ensuring that um, when you do do good, you're actually doing good rather than 
uh, intervening for the sake of motives that you haven't fully worked through or, or acknowledged to yourself. And on that front, it's important to remember that your authority to speak arises in large measure from how people sense that you weigh your words. And if you're throwing out your words lightly on any subject that comes to mind that you've not actually given thought to, then people won't take your words as having weight. If you think and express a very clear investment in understanding something before you speak, people will give your words weight because you've given them weight. Yeah. Th this is this is actually something that has, um, I thought about it a bit, is, is that element of, I think about this for pastors uh, often, especially in the online context, like, all right, why aren't you commenting on this? Why aren't you commenting on that? Um, one thing is just not not burning credit, right? Some people probably, and I think part of this part of our conversation is being shaped by the fact that the three of us uh, have opinions on a lot of things, and we are, we are probably we are probably prone towards opinionating, whereas some people are are probably more hesitant than they ought to be uh, for precisely these reasons because of personality quirks, etc. But one thing I've, I've that has shaped how and whether or not I weigh in on something, I, I tweet something, I talk, speak to an issue is, um, is this an issue I really want to burn my credit on? Like I've got only so much personal credibility to, to, to kind of cash in my chips on where uh, if I'm going to have you not like me or think I'm, I'm an idiot because you disagree with me you, you know, good faith or bad faith disagree with me on some issue. Is this the issue that I don't mind, um, you know, burning it on? Like, so for me, one of those issues is um, atonement. Like what we think about the cross. I, you know what? I'll, I'll go ahead and state my views clearly on that and forthrightly and at length or whatever it is. Uh, whereas, you know what? I've never written on creation and evolution and things like that, not because they're not important, not because it doesn't matter, but because I have not spent the time or the energy and invested myself to such a great degree that A, what I would say is helpful, and B, that I would rather have you listen to me on that and discount like that I would I would be it would be worth it for me to have you discount what I say on like atonement because you don't like what I say on creation and evolution or you know and you can you can pick all sorts of issues like that whether it's race or gender or sex or um or you know votes or political theology there's a certain sense of like you know i have a thought on that i will act myself according to that view and if you talk to me in conversation i'll tell you but there's a level of whether or not i'm going to be a public advocate of that over this um, because there is only so much time and only so much energy and only so much um, credibility, especially in terms of the kinds of public statements that you make. Um, and so that is another, that's another thought that goes through my head. Now there's a certain degree when you're a pastor and you're like in the local context, and this I think is the other difference is the difference between online and what you're going to say in person. Um, I, Andrew Wilson did have a really good talk on controversies recently and I can't remember exactly where it was but he had like a certain priority ranking about when to engage someone and you know and how and it was kind of like personal over email 
um, you know, private over public, you know, in real life over online. Like there's a certain like preferentiality ranking on these things that lowers the stakes to some degree. And, you know, if you're a pastor, you're going to have to engage a bunch of stuff in the context of your local church that you wouldn't necessarily engage online simply because, you know, at the end of the day, you got to make a call on that. You have to have that conversation with the person in your small group. And so you have to have enough of a thought in your head to weigh in. Um, and so you can't avoid all subjects forever, right? You can't in the pulpit, you know, if you run across an issue in a text, you can't, you can't skirt that the same way you can decide not to blog something, right? But when it comes to engaging in public controversies or things like that, then I do think that the criteria of, of, is this what I want to burn my credit on starts to kick in with a little bit more force. So, um, that's, that's another thought that kind of guides some of how I engage, uh, for better or for worse. A few points I don't on know. That. Is that, is that, yeah. I think I like the way that, Scott Alexander on Slate Star Codex begins many of his posts with uh, a brief note on epistemic status. So before you start reading the post, he'll say how exactly he's approaching the issue. So for instance, his latest one is um, epistemic status, total wild speculation. And he says really interesting <laughs> things after that, but it is total wild speculation. So you know what weight to give it and you know what weight he has given it. And that enables yeah. him to say things that would, if he'd actually put lots of weight on them, might lead you to dismiss him as a bit of a crank. Um, it actually helps you to understand what he's doing. Um, so there's that. I think also there's... Often we talk about controversy as something that is an, a tragic necessity that's best avoided. But I think public controversy can be a profoundly good thing in many contexts, as opposed to what we often have, which is um, the avoidance of any appearance of public difference between people. And as a result, you have people closing ranks and not dealing with some very important differences between them. And so, for instance, in churches, I think what we need often is leadership that has public controversy and differences that they express between themselves and they have these arguments but they have these arguments in a way that shows the space in which you can have good difference and how that difference can be gone about well and how that difference as it's debated through and argued through can be something that hones people and develops their position so even if we don't end up believing the same thing or on the same page we are all deepened in our understanding of our own position and of where it stands relative to others as a result of the controversy. I mean, I'm very much in favour of not just agreeing to disagree, but having the disagreement and doing it well, and doing it well so that other people can see how it's done well, how they can see how disagreement is a means of stress-testing ideas uh, that shows that we have um, done our due diligence in thinking through our positions, that these are not just things that we're throwing out there as opinionating, but we've actually researched this and we want to be tested and we want to be pushed and we want to see if our positions will hold weight against alternative and opposing positions. And often I think churches in 
wanting this desire for or having this desire for a sense of external unity and agreement and consensus, they've lost sight of just how valuable disagreement is and how it creates an aerated context within which critical and helpful thought can thrive and we don't just stifle people in a premature agreement. Matt? Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, I, I think that's right. Uh, and it's uh, a lesson that I wish we would all take to heart. Um, because Zalister's exactly, yeah, it's exactly right. The, the need for public disagreement is, uh, indispensable and the, the kind of faux unity, uh, that, that gets presented actually diminishes people's confidence in their leadership because they, um, they don't see their leadership disagreeing charitably and graciously with one another. And, um, it, 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 yeah, it constrains the field of discourse in such a way that uh, it allows um, those who have dissenting opinions to uh, feel as though they're isolated and alone, and that festers in a community of people. That that that's the sort of thing that, when suppressed, um, eventually emerges into a full blown uh, uh, fight that could have been avoided through the proper treatment of disagreement early on. Um, and I recognize that it's hard to do that, but, um, you know, one of the, one of the hardest things in this world is figuring out how to do the hard right thing early so that we can avoid the much harder, uh, much more painful right thing later on. Um, and you know, helping, disagreement and controversy foster in the right way and within the right context is to me one it's like a, a release valve it releases yep. some of the pressure intellectually and um and, and avoids an explosion from happening it allows people to see that disagreement and debate and controversy can occur without dissension um if you have leaders yeah. that model good disagreement and intelligent self-defined positions where they're standing relative to each other in a well-defined way and they're not just reacting against each other in um, antagonism but they are disagreeing thoughtfully and well respecting and honoring each other in that disagreement you can as you model that to people and also as they see that they can understand that there is space for difference here and um, but that difference doesn't have to yep. lead to division Listen, Alistair, if you have something to say to me, just say it to my face. Man, I was going to joke that if you guys <laughs> wanted a, you know, a, a context for staging an intervention for me or rebuking me, you know, there are more biblical ways of doing this than going about, you know, than a podcast. Right. Um, Setting up a whole podcast. Matt, this is an intervention. Yeah. Actually. Um, please don't gain us more listeners. <laughs> Or lose us more listeners. But that is something I've really um, appreciated about uh, our conversations more generally. And often the, <laughs> the conversations that occur when we're not being recorded, we challenge each other, we disagree with each other, and we push each other in ways that we all benefit from. And that disagreement, I think, is yeah. something that we all value. 
um, because we know that we'll be honest with each other and forthright and candid, and we're not going to hold back the disagreements that we have. And that means that we can all be strengthened by that. <laughs> it is, it is. I remember the first time. I mean, I remember the first time Matt sent me an email once. I wrote some post oh, no. uh, about like centrism, or whatever it is. And um, I think he was being merciful, but he sent me an email that was just like, guy come on and then he laid it out and i was like oh, okay you got a point there, et cetera, et cetera. but yeah like those are the ones where i'm like oh okay yeah okay well no wait yeah but it, but they're helpful i mean it, it, it these kinds of these kinds of arguments in a sense are helpful uh but th this is one thing i will say is um arguments among friends uh when they're i'll just when there's a decent amount of, you know, interpersonal flex, interpersonal trust buildup, that is one of the other things that, 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 um, is harder on the internet. Um, so just to, just to, just to pull in, I can't remember. I'm trying to remember what the guy, uh, Tim Muehlhoff, he wrote a book about how to have arguments and conversations I read a while back, but you know, he appealed to the distinction between emphatic and emphatic speech and you know, emphatic speech, we we all know. I didn't know there was such a thing as as emphatic speech, though. But it makes sense. Like it's the difference between, um, you know, when I joke with Alistair about his knitting, uh, or or just or the shared or the shared things, uh, you know, shared authors that we like, et cetera, et cetera, uh, that builds up conversational trust and currency, which then is pushed when we do have an argument. Or, you know, same thing with somebody who I really disagree with, you know, somebody who's on a more progressive side on an issue of atonement or an issue of gender and sex, whatever it is. If there isn't some sort of context of um, uh, just kind of low, low stakes conversation, low stakes speech or trust or, or relational capital, um, it brings us to kind of those higher emotional temperatures quicker uh, than than it would otherwise, and so conversations reach their breaking points quicker. Which is again something to really consider when you think in the pastoral. That this is why this is why local church. I, I understand the push that some have to to say a lot of these controversies should be handled at you know mostly dealt with at the local church level, and I think to some degree that's true. Um, because at the local church level, there is hopefully yeah, decently healthy, well, hopefully a lot more of that interpersonal trust, you know, hearing something from your pastor who, you know, has played with your kids or, um, visited your family when you were sick or, uh, something like that. And then, then they say something that you disagree with or correct you. There's just a whole different relational context than reading some, relationless article from a a thinker in the ether uh at quite a remove whom you don't trust uh because you have no context of trust like that and so there's that is i think the other one of the other one of the other arguments for for um really weighing whether or not you go public with a, with something versus is this something i'm, I'm really going to be handling more at my local church level um Anyways, there's a, a little rambling point there, but I think that that matters in in these in these conversations. Alistair, Matt, are you guys just weighing how to how to argue that, or? 
I mean, it, did I? I are, no, are you into? No, I'm just reflecting, doing some self-reflection over here, wondering if my um, penchant for treating people who like tell me that I'm wrong as a as a like criterion of friendship is actually pathological or not. Um, so it's to me, I mean, I was thinking about Alistair's claim that like we argue with each other and that's one of the best parts about it. I think it's actually stronger than that for me. I think it's genuinely a sign. Uh, and we've talked about my views of friendship before, but I think it's actually like on my criterion of friendship. Like if you're not, I'd agree with that. Actually, I think this is often something argue with me. It's particularly, I mean, I've particularly found this with certain male friends that argument, teasing, um, pushing people around and seeing if they respond well, um, that can be a precondition for friendship. Because if you can push someone and disagree with them and say, tease them or um, call them something and they respond well, you know that you can depend upon that person in a pinch. You know that you can... Um, be at ease with that person and you can play around and have that sort of rough dynamic which is really good fun and it can really strengthen you and you can play to your strengths with such a person whereas with other people you always have to hold back and restrain yourself but when you can be honest and forthright and candid with people and um, push your positions against them and see what they say in response it's a wonderful feeling because you can be at ease with them and you can be strong and with I mean, them. You like, don't have to be weak. That is just rank. That is just rank imperialism. I mean, rank imperialism. <laughs> well, it's 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 worth reflecting on what the, you know the gendered natures of how we're construing friendship. I mean, there's there's uh, uh, one critique of Lewis's account of friendship uh, that it's just you know the Oxford, the male dominated Oxford common room version, uh, which there's there's, there's some legitimacy to that. To that. <laughs> Yeah. Um, no, I don't mean to. I don't mean there to. Might, dismiss there might at be, all. but I'll say, I will say, there's cultural difference there. Like my my family, I, you know, I don't know if it was just a Latino or Arab thing, whatever. But when my mom and her uncle and my uncles get together, um, they just make fun of each other like nonstop and give each other the mech. That is how. T- oh, that is. I mean, that is just that. It, it's and it's hilarious, and it's and it's and it's the way they. It's part of how they. You know, loving they show love to each other is just. Just not, and I, I didn't know if it was. I've always wondered how much. I think it's definitely certain kinds of cultures create that. It, it Maybe that you know the Oxford whatever culture has certain overlaps there. I mean, it, it may be gendered, uh, but but it know, is locker room. But it whatever, is but, in but it, in, but it is interesting in this context in our in our sort of cultural context. I think I do value it so highly precisely because it's so rare yeah. and because it demonstrates the, the willingness to say, I think you're wrong and I think here's why. And I think it matters that you're wrong and it matters for you and for others. Like the stakes for doing that are so high these days that it's it demonstrates a willingness to risk on the part of the other person. And um, it, it, it does engender trust as a result, because you recognize in that this person has risked their um, friendship with me by telling me that I'm wrong on something that I care about that I think I'm right on. And it's sad that 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 risks the friendship in a lot of cases, but the the background context of our world suggests that it does risk the friendship. Uh, and so it, 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 I think it's, 
there are lots of reasons why it's within our world um, almost an indispensable sign of friendship that that one would tell hard truths uh, to uh, one's colleagues uh, and so demonstrate the willingness to to risk affiliation for the sake of their good. Something I've often found helpful as well is when you're in con- when you're in an argument with someone, um, and when you're tempted to react against them, it's so important to get a sense of them from a, a broader perspective. Because online, we are we are defined very much by our opinions. When I'm relating to you guys, I know you're far more than your opinions. Um, we've related on many different fronts. <laughs> or far less, if it's me. <laughs> <We're> not- <laughs> I've met I've met Andrew and Matt in person at least and I've interacted with Derek a great deal on Skype on Twitter or other places like that and by email and as a result I have a broader sense of you as people whereas online it's so easy to forget that people come from contexts they're rooted in particular backgrounds and not to take that into account but when you see people you know online often you realize He's being really stupid online, but I can understand where he's coming from at least. And something I found helpful <laughs> to resist some of the instinctive reaction that I find when people say something that I very strongly disagree with online is to pray for them. Pray for them yeah. not, Lord, bash in the teeth of the wicked or something like that, or um, <laughs> that God would um, turn their opinion to the truth even. Just thank God for them, for who they are within their community, within their family, and pray for the good of their um, community, their family, and for them themselves. And to recognise that there are other perspectives on this person, that this person is not defined by that one opinion that they hold, which can so easily happen online, because the internet is a place where we're constantly self-branding, because we don't have more concrete defined identities that are um, clearly visible or belongings um, and as a result we're constantly self-defining yeah. um, this I think is maybe a helpful place to wrap it up we do have to wrap it up today um, one more note so so thank you for listening one more note um, this week and I'm, I'm, I'm saying this so that Matt will do it this week when we post the show notes um, uh, we'll, or, or even before uh, we will post the details of our Augustine's Confessions reading schedule uh, and which translation we'll be using and so on and so forth. So if you want to read or listen to the Confessions along with us and then tune into our discussions, you will know where we're going. So just keep an eye out for that this week at neworthodoxy.com. If you're just uh, podcasting or downloading, uh, go go check it out this week. Um, but with that said, uh, thanks again for listening. Uh, We hope this has been a blessing to you today. Take care.